I'm gonna tell you an embarrassing story in a couple minutes. But before I do, let me introduce you to the series that we're currently in. First of all, if you're new to Broadway Church Online, welcome. We are towards the end of our series called Better You. In this series, we're going back to university to learn how to be a better you. Now we're taking a number of characteristics that the Apostle Peter talks about in the Bible, and, and he says we need to build upon and work out our salvation. There, there are certain characteristics that we need to live out. Now, in order to, to be saved, in order to be invited into God's family, to be adopted into his family, you don't need to earn that. Okay, you don't need to earn that. You don't need to pay your way into God's family. It's like sitting on this chair. We've been using this chair for a number of weeks now. You just rest in the grace and forgiveness that God has given you. You do not have to earn that. But there are certain qualities that you need to live out. Here's the passage that we've been unpacking from 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5. The Apostle Peter says, For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Now, today's quality that we're going to unpack is godliness. How to be more godly. Now, for the embarrassing story. The year was 2005 and a number of friends and I decided to do the Sun Run. If you've never heard of the Sun Run before, it's a 10 kilometer run in downtown Vancouver, happens every May or so, and tens of thousands of people do this run. Now, I was like 20 years old at the time and I thought, you know what, I don't need to train for this run. It's 10 kilometers, not 50 kilometers, so I didn't train. And let me tell you, 10 kilometers is farther than you think. It didn't take me very long that I realized that my stamina was not up to par. Like, I was tired. Like, extremely tired. Now, saying that, I do have to say that I did not stop and walk at any point. There was a couple times where I ran extremely slow, but I never stopped and walked. I remember this one moment, I was at the eight kilometer mark. They put the markings out every, every kilometer. And at the eight kilometer mark, I had this moment where I thought, okay, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't handle it anymore, I'm just gonna stop. But at that moment, I looked ahead and I saw one of my friends. And it was Ashley Gao, who's Pastor Simon's wife. This is even before they were married. We've all been friends for a long time. And I saw Ashley in the distance and I thought, well, I'm not going to let Ashley beat me. <laughs> I'm going to catch up to her. So I sprinted up to her and I caught up to her and we were kind of running together for, for a few minutes. And we were talking and, and she was saying, oh man, I really don't feel very well, you know, as we're, walk, as we're running. And, and I said, yeah, my legs are killing me too. And she goes, no, 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 I really don't feel very. And even before she was able to finish that sentence, puke. She puked right on the Canby Street Bridge. I look back and she's like this, puking on the Canby Street Bridge. And guess what I did? I didn't stop. <laughs> I used this moment as an opportunity to get ahead of her. And I thought, I'm just gonna pretend like I didn't see that and go towards the finish line. And I finished and I got my free yogurt and I got my free water and my free banana. It was a good day. The next day, the Vancouver Sun actually publishes um, all the times on the front page of the newspaper. So I went to the newspaper, I wanted to go check out my time, and, and I looked at my time, 55 minutes and 13 seconds. Not bad. I was happy with that. 
And then I was curious, I thought, well, let me go check Ashley's time. I wonder what she got, like I for sure beat her. And I went to go look at her time, 54 minutes and 30 seconds. She beat me by 45 seconds. Now, although she finished the race after me, they start the race in intervals, so I actually began the race before her, and so at the end of the day, she beat me by 45 seconds. I was a horrible friend. <laughs> I wanted to win at all costs, and she still beat me, and she still won't let that down to this day. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Lewis, well, how does all this tie into being godly? Well, believe it or not, Growing in your stamina and growing in your godliness both follow the same basic principle. Both growing in your stamina and growing in godliness do not come naturally. Training is required. If you want to grow in your godliness or if you want to grow in your stamina, they do not come naturally. You need to train. In a letter to Timothy, who was a young pastor at the time, the Apostle Paul challenges him to have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, he says, this is important, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, in order to build up your stamina for a 10-kilometer run, or any run for that matter, you need to train. Trust me on this one. Building stamina and conditioning does not happen overnight. Not only that, not only does it not happen overnight, but the more time that you invest in working on these things, on your stamina, the more results you'll see. The longer you can incorporate a clean diet and constant exercise and consistent sleeping patterns, the better. When you eat right, and you do cardio, and you sleep, you will see a difference in your performance. When you're training for a run, the key is this. Incorporate strategic disciplines for an extended period of time, and significant results will follow. Now, how do I grow in my godliness? Well, I'm actually going to reveal the big idea to you early. I know I'm blowing you away right now. Usually this happens at the end. But the big idea, it's, it's a bit more of a big principle today that we're going to be applying throughout our time today. To grow in godliness, you need to use the same principle as growing your stamina. You incorporate strategic spiritual disciplines for an extended period of time and significant results will follow. You incorporate strategic spiritual disciplines for an extended period of time and significant results will follow. Now, before we get into some very practical examples of what these strategic spiritual disciplines are that you could incorporate into your life, it's important to find out exactly what we mean by godliness. I mean, what does godliness even mean? Not only that, but after we define this term, we're going to explore one significant problem that the Apostle Paul warns Christ followers about when it comes to godliness. So we're going to define the term, we're going to talk about a problem, and then we're going to discuss some strategic disciplines that you could incorporate into your life. First, what is godliness? Well, the Greek word that the Apostle Peter uses is eusebia. The English translation of this word is piety. Now, you may not know what the word piety means. It's devotion and reverence towards God. Devotion depicts being close to God, walking with Him, obeying Him. Reverence describes a deep respect for God. 
And so when the Apostle Peter uses this word Eusebia, it's much more than just a warm, emotional feeling towards God, like one that you would get singing your favorite worship song. When the Apostle Peter uses the word Eusebia, it's always devotion and reverence in action. It's devotion and reverence in action. I want you to say in action with me. Ready? One, two, three. In action. That's an important term here. So when we speak of a godly person, we're referring to someone who has an authentic, character-shaping, life-altering walk with God. A godly person is someone who has an authentic, character-shaping, life-altering walk with God. That is what devotion and reverence in action looks like. It's a life that is radically changed by God. To be godly is to place God at the center of your life and allow him to shape your playing and thinking and working and dreaming. There's nothing passive about being godly. Godliness is devotion and reverence in action. But here's the problem. It's a problem that's, that is especially among religious people. The Apostle Paul, again writing to young Timothy, warns him of this problem. He says, but mark this, young Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, when the Apostle Paul uses that term, the last days, he's referring to the era after Christ came to the earth. So the last days in Paul's eyes began when Jesus was born and continues even now. He's not specifically referring to the time when Christ will return. Technically speaking, we've been in these last days for 2,000 years now. I say all that to say, don't get distracted with what that means. In those last days, so now, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and here's the important part, having a form of godliness but denying its power. They will have a form of godliness but deny its power. Have nothing to do with such people, Paul says. Now it's important to note that Paul's not talking about unchurched people here. He's not saying have nothing to do with people that do not follow God. Of course, if you're a Christ follower, your role is to be a light to all who do not follow God. The Apostle Paul is warning against people who claim to be godly. People who claim to be Christ followers, but are actually destructive. They claim to be Christ followers, but they tear the church apart. They claim to be godly, but with their lives, they dishonor God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny his power. What does that mean? Well, another way of saying it is they have an appearance of godliness, but not true godliness. They appear to be godly, but they're faking it. They refuse to allow God's power to miraculously work and shape their life. Remember, a godly person refers to someone who has an authentic, character-shaping, life-altering walk with God. Godliness is devotion and reverence in action. Paul is saying, have nothing to do with those who appear to be godly. They may look like they have devotion and reverence, but they do not. They are not allowing God's power to transform them. They're fakers and they're dangerous. So what does this 
type of person look like? Well, let me illustrate what I mean. This person represents one who claims to follow God. They claim to be godly. But just like you and I, this person has issues. They struggle with greed, pride. They say things they should not say. There's gossip and envy in their life. They're not perfect, nor do they claim to be perfect. Godliness in action means they allow God to shape every part of their lives. Godliness in action allows God to get into the dirty areas and clean up our garbage. It's kind of like washing your clothes. Godliness in action is when we allow God to rewire our thought life, when we allow him to renew our passions and desires. Godliness in action is when we humbly invite him into our brokenness and actively allow his power to work within us, to cleanse us, to wash us, to mold us, and to transform us from the inside out. It's a heart transformation that we allow him to do in our lives. Now, this is often a difficult, but always a beautiful transformation. And this is what devotion and reverence in action looks like. It means to allow God to get in and clean up the mess in your life. Now, that's what true godliness looks like. What does fake godliness look like? Well, this person represents someone who claims to follow God as well. Just like me and you, they have issues. There's greed and pride. They say things they should not say. There's gossip and envy. They're not perfect. But here's the difference. Instead of allowing God to dive in and clean up and rewire and shape and mold and wash and transform their lives, they only appear godly. They have a form of godliness, as the Apostle Paul put it. What does that look like? Instead of allowing God to shape every part of their life, and instead of allowing their t-shirt to be washed, it's like they put a cover over their mess to hide it. This person does not want God to get in and deal with the dirt. Instead, they cover it up. They don't give God full control. They don't give God full access. They put up a barrier so that God cannot transform their lives from the inside out. Now, here's the tricky part. This person can sound like a Christ follower. They could often look like a Christ follower. They could even talk like a Christ follower. But when you take a closer look, they're faking it. They only appear to be godly. They do not have an authentic, character-shaping, life-altering walk with God that godly people have. They do not have devotion and reverence in action. Those who have a form of godliness do not allow God's power to transform their lives. Are you that person? Maybe you've been going to church for years, but you're like that person that puts the jacket over, that's, that's putting up a barrier between you and God. You're not allowing God to get into every part of your life. You're not allowing God to do an open heart surgery on you to transform your life. Maybe that's you. If that is, I'm going to give you an opportunity today in a few minutes to say, God, I want you to take control of my life. I want you to take over. I want you to mold and shape and cleanse me right now. Maybe you're watching today and you've never made that decision before. Well, in a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity as well. Maybe you want to invite God for the first time to transform your life and to walk with him. That is what your, your purpose is in life. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a few minutes when I close.
to do just that. Well, now for some practical application. How do I grow in godliness? Well, remember the big idea. You need to incorporate strategic spiritual disciplines for an extended period of time and significant results will follow. Well, what are some of these strategic spiritual disciplines? Well, how often does someone walk into your office at work or, or maybe you're watching TV at home or you're reading a book at home and this person walks into the room and they interrupt you. They start asking you questions and you're simply not there. Like physically you're there, but mentally you're not there. You may be smiling and nodding, saying, mm-hmm, oh yes, that sounds good. Yes, very good. You might even be giving some answers, but, but your, your mind is somewhere else. You're not fully present with that person. Has ever happened to you? Maybe that not only happens with people in your life, maybe that happens with God in your life. Maybe that also happens when you're trying to spend time with God. You're reading his word, but your mind is wandering. You're trying to pray, but you're processing work. You're physically there, but mentally you're not there. You're not fully present with God. Well, discipline number one is this. Stop, slow down, and be fully present with God. Let me ask you, how often do you simply stop and wait? Just breathe and just think. How often do you stop and be present with God in silence? No distractions. How often do you invite him into your day? How often do you sit there and are just aware of his presence? My guess is not very often. It's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's because our, our lives are so fast. Our lives are so hurried. We have emails and text messages and deadlines and kids, school, exercise, notifications, traffic, lingering issues, Netflix, sports, YouTube, work, work, work. We got all these things going on, everything so fast-paced, so on the go. We are so hurried all the time, and that's our problem. We're hurried. Author and pastor John Ortberg speaks about the difference between being busy and being hurried. There's a big difference. He says, being busy is an outward condition, a condition of the body. It occurs when we have many things to do. There are limits to how much busyness we can tolerate. But by itself, busyness is not lethal. Being hurried, however, is an inner condition, a condition of the soul. It means to be so preoccupied with myself and my life that I am unable to be fully present with God, with myself, and with other people. A hurried soul will hinder you. I think, I think this is the major difference between how we operate and how Jesus operated. Now listen, Jesus was busy. His ministry was filled with people and projects, traveling, preaching, and teaching. He was always on the go, and he always had people around him that he was mentoring. He was very busy, but Jesus was never hurried. Jesus never appeared to be hurried in the Bible, in the Gospels where we read his life story. He always made time to be fully present with people, but more importantly, he always made time to be fully present with God. He always prioritized quality, uninterrupted time 
with his father. Jesus prioritized time to stop and be fully present with God. Even in the midst of a very full and very busy ministry, I want you to look how strategic Jesus was about being present with God. I want you to note the places that Jesus went as well as what he did to stop and be present with God. Mark chapter 1 says, very early in the morning, so apparently he was a morning person. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went to where? A solitary place where he prayed. He woke up very early, nobody else was up, went to a place by himself in solitude, tuned everything out, and he prayed. Luke 5 says, But the news about Jesus was spreading farther, and large crowds kept gathering to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. See, Jesus had a lot going on. There was crowds gathering. He was busy. But Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray in seclusion. Again, with all the busyness going around, he prioritized this time to go away by himself in solitude, in seclusion, to spend time with his Father. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray, Luke says, and he spent the night praying to God. Sometimes the morning didn't work, so he went out at night with nobody else around, and he spent the night with God. You see, there was a flow to the life of Jesus. He would work hard, but then he would have the ability to stop and be fully present with God. What's your flow in life? Is your soul hurried? Do you struggle with being present with God? Do you struggle to rest? Is there times in your day or your week where you can unplug and turn off all the devices and turn off the to-do list in your mind and just stop and be present with God? Are there rhythms in your life that you've incorporated in order to stop and be present with God? Listen, in order to grow in your godliness, you need to incorporate strategic spiritual disciplines for an extended period of time. You need to learn how to stop and be fully present with God. You also need to be able to stop and pray to God. I want to take a note of what Jesus did when he stopped and carved time out to be present with God. Mark chapter 1 again says, Very early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place, and what did he do? He prayed. Luke 5 says, But the news about him was spreading farther, and large crowds kept gathering to hear him to be healed of their illnesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness, and what did he do? He prayed. One of those days, Jesus went to the mountainside to what? To pray. And spent the night doing what? Praying to God. It's no secret that if you want to grow in your godliness, prayer is a strategic discipline that needs to be incorporated into your life. But let's be honest. Praying consistently is hard. Setting time aside to pray, especially if you're not used to doing it, is incredibly difficult. I'm going to introduce you to something that I think will help with this. I'm going to introduce you to something that's actually transformed my life when it comes to prayer. First, I need you to know that I love to be efficient. And everything I do, I need to be strategic. It needs to be the most efficient way possible to do it. I'm going to give you an incredibly efficient way to incorporate both prayer and being present with God in your daily life. 
It's called the liturgy of commute. The liturgy of commute. It's actually changed my life. First, what's a liturgy? Many of you may not know what a liturgy is. Well, a liturgy is a systematic pattern that's followed to offer worship to God. Again, it's a systematic pattern that's followed to offer worship to God. And of course, we all know what a commute is. Oftentimes, our commutes are a waste of time where we simply try to pass the time listening to Spotify or podcasts or even worse, sports radio. <laughs> Maybe your commute is driving to and from the office. Maybe you're a parent and your commute is walking your kids to, to school. Maybe you bike to work. Or maybe your commute is driving to Costco to pick up groceries for your family. Maybe you take public transit every day. Many of us have a commute, but admittedly, a large part because of COVID and many people working from home, maybe you don't have a commute. Maybe you wake up five minutes before you're supposed to turn on your computer and you get up out of bed and walk seven steps to your kitchen table and that's your commute. Well, that's not really a commute. <laughs> Maybe you're retired or, or a stay-at-home parent or a stay-at-home spouse. If that's you, when I say commute, think about the walk that you go on every day to get out of the house or the drive to the gym or the trip to Starbucks at lunchtime. Picture your commute, whatever it is right now. You most likely go the same way every day. What stores do you see? Are there mountains? Is there cross streets that jump out into your mind? Is there train tracks or a particularly unique house that you pass? Here's what you can do. Instead of turning on the radio or a podcast or Spotify on your commute, be silent. Begin by being silent. And as you drive or walk or bike or transit, use those landmarks that you pass by every day to remind you to pray for specific things. Transform your commute from dead time to time where you're present with God and where you can pray to God. Here's what I do. I take the first 15 minutes of my commute and I do not turn on any device or any radio. I always take a shortcut to get onto the main road and I love shortcuts. So it reminds me to be thankful for the things that I have. And so I spend a minute or so just thanking God for the things that I have. Then once I'm on the road, I, there's a daycare on my left. And that reminds me, accuse me to pray for my community. And I spend a couple minutes praying for my community. I then turn left onto another road. And I know at the end of that road, there's a church. And so I spend a few minutes confessing my sins and my faults to God. I then turn right to go drive up a big hill this steep hill, it reminds me to look up to God for help. It's in those moments that I lift up my requests and my prayers to him. Shortly after that, I pass the school that my kids uh, attend and that my wife works at, and it reminds me to pray for my family for a few minutes. I then spend a few moments listening to God, just in silence, allowing him to download whatever he wants into my mind. And by that time, I've spent 15 minutes of my commute silent and present with God and praying to God. It's incredible. It's changed my life. The liturgy of commute is a strategic spiritual discipline that I've incorporated into my routine. And those 15 minutes have incredibly changed my life. And they can change yours as well. Now, a liturgy of commute may not be your number one choice of discipline to add to your life. But it's important to find out what works for you. And if you do that, I guarantee you will grow.
Because if you want to grow in your godliness, you need to incorporate strategic spiritual disciplines for an extended period of time and significant results will follow. Without those strategic disciplines in your life, you may be falling into the trap of only having an appearance of godliness and not really allowing God to impact and transform your life. As we close, let me ask you, are you allowing God to shape you? Are you allowing him to mold you? Are you allowing God to cleanse you today? Remember, to be godly is to have an authentic, character-shaping, life-altering walk with God. Does that describe you? Or are you only giving off the appearance of godliness? God wants to transform your life from the inside out. But you need to be willing to say yes to his wonder-working power in your life. And if you do want to say yes, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. Why don't you bow your heads with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in a prayer. If you want to say yes to God's power working in your life to shape you and mold you and transform you, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. All I'm going to say is just agree with me in your mind as I pray. God, I just pray for every single person that wants to make this decision to say yes to you transforming their life. There are some today that are maybe making this decision for the first time. I thank you for their decision, God. I just pray that you would work in their life and you would transform their hearts. And for those that have maybe made that decision in the past, that are, are coming back to you and, and inviting you back in, I pray that you would be with them, that you would transform them and give them a soft heart to say yes to what you want to do in their lives. God, we just want you to transform our lives to be godly, to be more like you. We just lift up our lives as, as living sacrifices to you, God. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you made a decision to follow Christ, the best advice I can give you is to simply text the number on your screen right now. Uh, someone's going to get back to you as soon as possible. We'd love to connect with you and help you in your next steps. Thanks for joining us today.